privilege for me this morning to, to be sharing uh, with you guys because I'm going to be continuing with the, the theme of the kingdom culture, what, what we've been sharing around, what Andre has been sharing around. But um, this morning I want to specifically focus on the pastoral flow or the pastoral culture. And uh, during my message, message um, we've got an English teacher, John, he always uh, he says I must pronounce it right, message. I hope I did it right. Um, but uh, you might think I'm speaking about the teaching culture because we're going to dive into the Word of God and uncover some real truth in there. Uh, so where's all the teachers? Anybody excited about that? We're going to get into the Word of God. Any teachers? Come on, where's the teachers? Nobody excited about the Word of God? Okay, awesome. But the truth, the truth or the, the treasure that we want to uncover here this morning um, and ultimately, the culture that we want to embrace and we want to start living is hidden um, in the pastoral culture. Okay, that's the truth. So, if that doesn't make sense, uh, you, you haven't been listening to the kingdom culture, all I'm saying is that uh, we're coming in terms of the fivefold ministry, speaking from the perspective of the pastoral this morning, and I'm going to use the word of God, the truth, to basically uh, illuminate a point. Amen. Is that okay? Okay. So, um... Without keeping you much longer, this message is, is titled, It's All About What? What is life all about? What is life in the kingdom? What is kingdom living all about? What is life all about for a born-again believer? What is it all about? Anybody bold enough to take a chance? Community? People? Relationships? Relationships? Wow! Sure, you guys have been listening to me over the weekend when I was preparing. Or... It's all about relationship. It is all about relationship. Everything we do in this life as a believer in the kingdom is about relationship. Everything we do should be based on main priority in life should be relationship. You know, you can be, we can be flowing in, in terms of the kingdom culture. We can be flowing in the teaching culture um, and we can be we're living out the uh, apostolic culture. We're living out the prophetic culture, the evangelistic culture. But if we don't live out this truth that life hinges on, hinges on relationship, everything else will fall apart. Everything else. All the other parts of the kingdom, the kingdom will fall apart if it's not for the pastoral flow. This is why Andre also um, often says that the pastoral flow, the pastoral culture is the glue that keeps everything together. Everything is kept together with the uh, pastoral culture. Okay, so some of you um, should be getting quite excited and, and uh, it's going to be a very encouraging message for you this morning um, because you tend to be more pastoral. Actually, some of you are battling to relate to or, or to flow in, evangel- in the evangelistic culture or the prophetic culture um, or you battle to maybe relate to the teaching culture um, or the apostolic, apostolic culture, this visioning thing. And you've actually been feeling that you're less spiritual because you don't that often flow in those areas. But this morning I want to come and break the lie that says you're less spiritual when you're naturally inclined to relationships and naturally inclined to flow from the pastoral culture. I mean, Because relationships and the pastoral culture, relationships is the most spiritual thing we can actually do. 
The most spiritual thing in life we can do is relationship. It's not necessarily evangelism or prophetic or, or teaching. It's relational. So I want to encourage you guys this morning, if you naturally tend towards the pastoral culture, and I want to break that lie that's over your life that you are less spiritual than other people. Can I get an amen? That's the truth. There's others of you that, uh, that's maybe listening here this morning, and uh, you're already building up arguments in your heart. You say, no, that can't be. Life is not all about relationships, man. It can't be all around relationship. You maybe even have some scripture that you're thinking of that, that says it's not about relationship, but don't worry. I'm going to use the word of God to prove to you that it's all around relationship. Life in the kingdom is all about uh, relationship. Let me maybe ask you a question to get you to think a little bit about what I'm talking about. Just imagine with me, dream with me, envision the whole earth, every single person in this world has this truth about, it is all about relationship, that's their main priority in life. Imagine for a moment, every person on the whole earth, their top priority being a relationship. How would the world look? If everybody had the, this focus that it's about relationship, nothing, more, nothing is more important than relationship. Maybe that's too, too wide. Let's bring it a little bit closer. Maybe it's London, our neighborhood. How would his London look and our neighborhoods look if every person in his London embraced this culture that life is about relationship? How would it look? Nice. United. Let's maybe bring it a little, a little bit more closer. How about this morning in this church? How about if each one of us here this morning Embrace the truth that life is all about relationship. How would the atmosphere change here this morning? How would things be different if each one of us start believing this truth that our top priority in life is relationship? There's nothing more important. How would things look? How would things happen here this morning? How would things change? Still too far away from home. Let's bring it home. How about your home? How would your home, how would your house look if you and your flatmates or your roommates or your, the people staying with your housemate or your, 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 um, your husband, your kids, your father, your mother, whoever's staying with you in your house, how would it look if in your house, those people in your house, you and your family embrace this truth that life is purely about relationship. Life, the, most, the highest priority in life is relationships. How would your house function? How would it look? How would things be? Harmonious. Preaching to like an audience of one year. Thanks. <laughs> I'm enjoying the interaction. Just think about it. How would it look? How would your house look? How would you, you and your wife, your children, how would things look if it was all around relationship? Everybody had this singular thing in their hearts and their minds that it's all about relationship. Peaceful. Awesome. Joy. Good. Love, yes. Thanks. Like a sombrai. Okay, good. I'm enjoying the interaction. Um, maybe let's, let me give you an example. Let's, let's take the workplace because we can relate, right, to the workplace. How do our workplaces look if from the CEO to every single other person in the, in the organization, like even in your job description, the number one priority, it says, it's all about relationship. Number one thing in this company, it's all about relationship. CEO, everything that's in your contract, it's all about relationship. 
Number, number one priority, relationships. How would your company look? I mean, what I can think of is there won't be um, a lot of uh, a gossip. There won't be gossiping going around. There won't be any lying going around. There won't be any um, people trying to sh- outshine other people, trying to step on other people to get to the top, to get a promotion. Imagine this, that two people are... There's one promotion, two people can get it, but it's all about the relationship. The one guy says, hey man, I don't even care about the relationship. Ach, the, the, um, I don't care about the promotion. I value our relationship so much. Like if, if you getting the promotion is going to actually boost our relationship, you take it, man. I'm, I don't care about the success. I don't care about money. It's all about relationship. So as long as our relationship can grow, you get the promotion. Wouldn't that be nice? Imagine the amount of trust in our workplace. If it was all around relationship, imagine the amount of time that we would save because we didn't have to go to each individual explaining everything to everybody because when someone acts, everybody would know that person is doing it for the benefit of all. There's no doubt in anybody's heart. Trust. Relationship. Wouldn't it be awesome? I know some of you might, might think that uh, if, if relationship is the key priority in, in, in my business and our business, then there won't be a business because everybody would just be uh, chatting and you know having a good time and um, money won't be made. There will be no efficiency. You know, money won't won't be made. Uh, no, no productivity. Maybe that's the truth. Ah, relationship with your customer. Okay, good point. So, just imagine that. Or you, you are. You, sorry, you you thinking that, you know, maybe it, it uh, the business won't be there. But think with you this morning, maybe it's not such a bad thing if the business is not there. What if, what if everybody in East London was all about relationship and the business closed down because people are all around relationship? Okay, people lose their jobs, which is a bad thing, we, we would think. But because everything is around relationship and everybody in East London is all about relationship, the people that have start to sell their things and give to the people that's in need, that just lost their job. People share freely. There's authentic and true community. People really don't look out for themselves. They look out for the other person. So all of those people that lost their jobs, they're all covered because there's enough going around. People will live much more simpler lives, live of the land, live of the sea. There won't be any stress. Much less stress, much more relaxed lives. Not so driven. We've been so indoctrinated by the society that we live in, that everything is about efficiency, everything is about being busy, everything is about doing, producing more, getting more. Money, 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 success. You can't, um, time is money, don't sit still. But we don't realize that a lot of that is actually not biblical. If everything was truly about relationship, it wouldn't actually matter if a business closed down because people would look after one another. Are you with me this morning? Can I get an Amen. Okay, awesome. Before we get into the word, let's, let's just pray. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you are here. Thank you, Jesus, that you're here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do what you do, do best, and you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears and our eyes so that we see truth, we hear truth this morning, and that we speak truth this morning. Come and teach us, Holy Spirit, as we sit on your word, as we go through your word. Open our eyes. In Jesus' name. Amen.
If you have your, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to um, Matthew 22, verse 35 to 40. It should also be on the screen there. And um, we're going to get into the Word now. I'm first just going to read through this, this passage, and then we're actually going to spend some time in digging into the Word and really get the nuggets of truth and uh, everything that's in there for us. Okay? So let's go. Verse 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love thy Lord, thy, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law, and the prophets. Okay. We've gone through it once. Let's now really dig into it. Okay, so where do we find ourselves in Scripture? We find ourselves at the place where the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they are questioning Jesus because they want him uh, to make a mistake. They want to prove that he's blaspheming somehow so that they can uh, throw him in prison and eventually kill him. That's their aim. That's their target, right? This is the setting which we enter here. And just before we, we get to the Scripture... What happened just before this is Jesus actually answered the Sadducees in a very uh, um, a good way or good response and nullified the arguments of the Sadducees. Now the Pharisees come and they're like, hey guys, we've got an opportunity to outshine the Sadducees. We can prove to everybody that we really know the word of God. Let's catch Jesus out. Let's catch him up. So they get all the most intelligent people, the intellectual people around and they gather and they say, what question can we ask him so that he can be caught out? Okay, and this is the question that they which they come to. And this is why they send the lawyer, lawyer representing someone that's intellectual. And it says, then one of them, which was a lawyer. Yes, awesome. Good work, Tinas. Then one of them, which is a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the greatest command in law? So this is the question that they come up with. Now this question uh, wasn't something new. They actually often pondered and spoke about this question. And what did they want Jesus to re respond? They just wanted Jesus to respond and say basically anything. They wanted him to say, pick any of the laws, because then they could say that he's basically nullifying or minimizing the other laws of God, which would then say that he's blaspheming God, and they could catch him out. So this is what they are interested at. But now we, we're going to see what happens now, but what is amazing here to me about, about Jesus, and a little bit of a, a sideline now, is often in our lives we would get the enemy come and try to trick and fool us. But I want to say to you this morning that everything that the enemy puts out into our lives, every curveball he throws in our life, God can turn it around for his glory and for your good. Amen? Every bad thing that the enemy throws in our path, God will turn it around if we allow him. He will turn it around for his glory and for our good. And this is exactly what Jesus does here. They're trying to trick him, but Jesus says, Ah, oh, what opportunity. There's so many people around me what opportunity to teach, to share truth, and to blow them away with my answer. But I'm going to share truth here. And this is what Jesus just does. Jesus says unto, unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Let's say that. Love the Lord thy God. With all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This, no, that's fine. this is the first and the great commandment. Thanks. This is the first and great commandment. Okay, so you shall love thy Lord thy God. What does it mean? Ask him, what is the greatest thing, what is the greatest thing in the law? 
What is the greatest? What is life all about? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. How? Thou shalt love Him with all of your heart. What does your heart speak about? The heart speaks about our passions, our desires, the things that make us tick, even our possessions, the things that make us tick in life. Love Him with our passions. Love Him with your desires. Love Him with your uh, possessions. Then love Him with your soul. What does the soul speak about? Soul speaks about our emotions, our intellect, our thinking, our reasoning. God is saying, love the Lord your God with all of your emotions. So we, don't, we shouldn't only get excited about the rugby yesterday. We should also get excited when we're in the house of God, amen? Because God is saying, love God with all of your emotions. Love Him with all of your soul, with all of your reasoning, with all of your thinking. Love Him. Then He's saying, love the Lord your God with all of your mind. Mind represents your strength, everything you do, your acts. Love the Lord your God with all of your acts. And then He says, this is the first and great commandment. And second, and the second is like unto it. Interesting, Jesus, is, the, the question is singular. Which is the great commandment? But Jesus responds with, with two. He says, firstly, it is love the Lord the God, your, thy God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and great command. And then he says, the second one is like unto it. Meaning it is equal to it. But it's important, it's second. It's, it's also the great command. It's like the first, love the Lord of God, but it's not, it's, it's second. It is, but it's not. Are you with me? This is very important. It's still the great command, one command, but there's a first and there's a second part. Second, he says, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Wow. First command, love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. Second, love thy neighbor as I love thyself. First, very important, not love your neighbor and then love God. Love God first. But to, to, um, to continue the commandment, or, or the this, this, this single commandment is love the Lord thy God. You can't stop there. You also need to continue to love your neighbor. But we have to have a priority right. First love God, then love people. We're going to get into that now. But also what's, what's interesting for me is, it doesn't say love thy neighbor with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. Do you realize that? There's a little bit of a difference here. Loving God means pouring out yourself. Loving with everything you have. Pour out yourself. But how do we love people? Love people as you love yourself. How do we love ourselves? We all have different desires and needs and wants, right? Not necessarily bad things. We all have desire to have a roof over our heads, to have food on the table. We want to provide for our families. We want to have clothes on our body. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want to live in community. We want to have relationship, meaning in relationships. Not bad desires. We've got desires. But the scripture is saying, love thy neighbor as you would love yourself. When we love ourselves, we fulfill those own desires that we have, right? We work, we do things so we can have a roof over our head, so we can have food on the table. We build relationships because we want to be uh, loved. We want to um, feel respected. We want to be honored. Now, what this scripture is saying, love your neighbor as a self, meaning take all of your needs, all of your wants, all of your desires, and now fulfill those in other people. Fulfill those desires in other people. Are you with me? Fulfill the need that you have, but to fill it in other people. If you've got the desire to have a roof over your head, 
Fulfill that for someone else. Get a roof over the head of someone else. If you've got a need to, be, to feel loved, be the person who makes someone else feel loved. To make it very practical, if, if two people are walking in the rain and only one has got an umbrella, you've got the umbrella, you've got a legitimate need not to get wet. So you put the umbrella over your head. But when this scripture speaks about love your neighbor, it means to take your umbrella, to give it to the other person that does not have an umbrella, to let their need of not give, getting wet be met, and you sacrifice your need. This is what the scripture is speaking about. To sacrifice one's need and meeting that same need in someone else. Love thy neighbor as you would love yourself. Maybe for, for the ladies we can make it more real. Say there's one block of chocolate left on the table. Two people. Two people, one block of chocolate. Now, in modern society, what we would do, we would cut it in half and share. You get half and we get half and, you know, we're both happy. But that is not love. Not love as defined in the Word of God. Love says, it's my last one, but you can have it. Love says, I'm going to sacrifice my need and meet the need that you have. Isn't it beautiful? Another word that stands out there for me, neighbor. Why did God choose the word? Why is the word neighbor? I love that word because it's so practical. Isn't the word of God so awesome? There's so much to dig up here. The, the word neighbor, he didn't just say love others because who's others? Where's others? Love your neighbor. It's so practical like this morning. Yanas, who's your neighbor this morning? Yes, it's easy to relate. Amen. The people next to you, the people behind you, people in front of you, those are your neighbors. So this morning, the call of God is to love those people that's sitting around you. Who's the neighbors in your house? It's your wife. It's your spouse. It's your kids. It's your, it's your, your housemates. Those are your neighbors when you're in your house. It's so practical. You even have physical neighbors in your neighborhood that God says you need to love those people around you. When you're at work, the people sitting in the same cubicle doing work, work with you, those are your neighbors. When you're at the gym or at the shopping mall and you're waiting in the queue or whatever, the people around you, those are your neighbors. Wherever we are at, we've got this call on our life to love our neighbors, to love the people that is directly around us at that point of time. Isn't it awesome? The word neighbor. Love your neighbor wherever you go. It's so easy. Don't think love people in Indonesia or love people in India. When we're there, then we love them. Then they're next to us. But it's so simple. Just love the people that's around you right now. Every moment of the day, we've got this call on lives to love the people that's around us. And then verse 40, and this is the punchline, on these two commandments hang all, say hang all, the law and the prophets. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What it's saying is, what is the law and the prophets? The law and the prophets is basically scripture. Everything written in, in the law, everything prophesied about Jesus, everything written down by a prophet. And what it's saying here, everything hangs, all of scripture hangs on this truth, hangs on this commandment, hangs on this revelation, to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. If you don't do that, everything else falls. Everything in Scripture, everything in the kingdom, hangs 
on this commandment, to love the Lord thy God with all the heart, with all the soul, and all the mind, and love your neighbor as thyself. That's why I'm saying it's all about relationship. Relationship with God first and foremost, and then relationship with people. It's like a door. Any door has got two hinges. And that door can operate, fring, fring, swing freely. Fling freely. Swing freely because it's got two hinges. The one hinge is to love the Lord the God. The other hinge is to love your neighbor. If one of those hinges are gone, the door struggles to open. It battles. If both are gone, the, law, the door falls flat. The door represents like the law and the prophets, everything in the kingdom. It hangs on this truth, this revelation, this culture that we need to embrace that is hidden in the pastoral culture, which says that everything we do in life, the main priority is relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with people. But it's so important that we get that order right. That is first God and then people. Because we see this in Jesus. Jesus says, I only do what I see. I only do what I see the Father do. So Jesus practices this in Scripture. Jesus, you, you always see God is connected to the Father and He's connecting to people. Connected to the Father, just stay with me. Connected to the Father and connecting to people. Not connected to people and trying to connect to the Father. He is connected to the Father. Wherever the Father goes, He goes. Wherever the Father leads, He goes. Wherever God, the Father takes Him, there's people around Him, so He connects with people. He's not connected to people and then somehow trying, Oh God, where are you? I'm, I'm following people. Where God, where are you? He's connected to God. And wherever God leads you, there will be people around you. And God just says, simply love the people that is around you. Don't follow pe- people. Follow me. And there will be people around you, and now love those people. This is the greatest commandment. Everything else in Scripture, everything else in life hinges on this. Now, if we can start to read the Scripture with these perspectives, with these glasses, so much of the Scripture would come out, come alive to us. Because we will discover so much of why Jesus said certain things, why He reacted in certain ways. And we're going to look at two, two portions, but first I just want to quickly show you the Ten Commandments. Everybody knows the Ten Commandments? Deuteronomy 5, 6 to 21. I've taken out, I've just brought um, basically the Ten Commandments out, so the rest of the Scripture is not, not there. But verse 6, I'm the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God, speaking about love God. You shall have no other gods before me. Love God. You shall have, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Love God. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Set the day apart for me. Love God. So the first four commandments in the Ten Commandments, it's all about loving God. The great, command, the great commandment. Then it changes. The fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. Love your neighbor. You shall not murder. Love your neighbor. Surely you don't want to be, be murdered. <laughs> so love the neighbor as you would love yourself. Don't, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Love your neighbor. You shall not steal. Love your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Love your neighbor. You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's, neighbor's wife. Love your neighbor. Isn't this amazing? The whole of the Ten Commandments is captured in this singular commandment that says, first love God, 
Second, love your neighbor. And in this hangs all the law and the prophets. Everything is captured in this. Love God. This is how simple the gospel is. This is how simple the kingdom is. I want to take you to uh, two stories that we're quickly going to go through. Um, the one, both of them are, are about rich people. The one is about the rich young ruler, and the other one is about Zacchaeus. Um, and I want to see, show you the, the, the different outcomes in both of these stories. But let's look from the perspective, from these eyes, that everything in the kingdom is around relationships. Loving God and loving people. So let's look with his eyes. Mark 10, verse 17, 22. Now, as he was going on the road, this is Jesus. As Jesus was going on the road, one came running to him, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Let me jump to verse 19. You know the commandments, Jesus answers him. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud on your father and your mother. And the ruler says to him, and he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. It's like, Jesus, I've done these things. I, my whole life I've been doing the commandments. I've, I've been adhering to these rules and regulations. I've been doing the good things. I've been being a good person. And now pay attention to where Jesus now directs the question. Where does he go to? He says, Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Which is, Jesus is basically connecting with him. Remember, there's a crowd of people. But what Jesus is doing is he's, he's stopping for the one and he says, He's looking at him, he's giving him time, and he's putting his whole attention on him. He loved him. And then he said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up your cross, and follow me. But he was sad at the word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The young man had great possessions. One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor. So what is, what is Jesus nudging at? What is he actually saying? He's testing him against the great commandment. He's testing him about what, what life is all about. Because he says, go your way and sell all your possessions, sell everything you have. Why? Because Jesus teaches that you cannot love, you cannot love God and ma- money. Thank you. You cannot love God and mammon. You cannot love God and money. So what Jesus is saying, go your way, sell your possessions. What I'm actually asking is, do you love God? That's what Jesus is actually saying. Do you love God? If you love God, it would be clear you would sell your things. Then secondly, what he says, it doesn't stop there. He says, and give to the poor. If you sell your possessions, you'll be able to start to love me. When you are able to love me, you'll have the ability to love others. You'll have the ability to give. So sell your possessions, which equals loving me in this context. And that selling your possessions will enable you to give to the poor to love your neighbor. Are are you seeing this? So Jesus is actually telling him, if you go your way, sell your things, and give to the poor, you're actually fulfilling the great commandment, which is to love the Lord thy God. And then suddenly you have a capacity to love others. This is also this is so practical, but this is why it's so important to first love God and then people. Because how can we love people if we don't know love himself? We can't love a person, we can't love people 
if we don't know love. Jesus is love. The definition of love is Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know love. Maybe you know sharing or other words. But you don't know love if you don't know Jesus. You cannot give what you don't have. If you don't have Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have love, you cannot give love. If you sell your possessions, equaling, if you love God, you're able to give your possessions to, to people. Suddenly you've got the ability to give because you love God, now you've got the ability to love others. Wow. I'm just preaching myself happy because Scripture is so beautiful. You just got to get more excited about the Word of God. There's so much in here, but we just rush over it. We don't see it. Come on, guys. The interesting thing is that the guy went off sorrowful because he had great possessions. His choice was clear. He didn't, he didn't love God. He didn't love people. You see, his whole life he had been sticking to the rules and the, and the regulations and doing the right thing, being a good person. He'd, he'd been obeying the command, but at the core of it, God tested him and asked him, do you have a relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with people? And the answer is actually no. You could do all the right things, but if you miss having a relationship with God and a relationship with people, we'll go home sorrowful because we actually love the things. And in this case, this man was probably wealthy because he was doing the commandments. He was probably seen as a good person, which probably gave him uh, a good standing in the, in, the, in the community, which probably made people uh, um, do business with him, etc. So he was actually benefiting from doing the commandments. But when Jesus tests at the core of it, he fails and he's not able to go and sell. Now look at this. Zacchaeus, this story, also about the rich man, in Luke 19, verse 5 to 10. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. Again, that thing about seeing people, seeing the one. In the whole crowd, Jesus sees you this morning. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste. So Zacchaeus made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Immediately, Zacchaeus responds to Jesus' call. He comes down. He receives Jesus, which represents, in this case, receiving a relationship with God, receiving the love of God. And he receives him joyfully. But when they saw it, the other people, they all complained, saying, he has gone in to, to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Isn't this beautiful? Jesus doesn't even have to now ask Zacchaeus the next question, to love your neighbor. The response for Zacchaeus coming down, he receives Jesus joyfully, he loves God, and immediately there's a shift. Remember, Mammon was his God up to this point. But he's meet Jesus, immediately there's a change of uh, 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 ruler in his life. He suddenly starts to love God, which gives him the capacity without Jesus even asking to say, Lord, you know what I'm going to do now? I don't care about money anymore. I'm going to, half of my goods, I'm just going to give to the poor. Bam. And then I'm going to go further than that. I'm going to, every person I cheated, I'm going to restore fourfold of what I cheated. I'm going to restore to them. Isn't this amazing? The response. What is our response to God's call on our life? To reach people, two very different responses. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is the son of Abram. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. 
Isn't that awesome? Two completely different endings. But Zacchaeus making this choice to first love God, entering into a relationship with God, which gave him the capacity to now love his neighbor. It's all about relationship in the kingdom. Everything else will fall, fall to the wayside if it's not around relationship. You know, we can't just leave a message like this here. We've got to get practical. So this is what it's all about. Just remember that picture. God first and people second. Naturally, when we love God, the outflow will be to love people. But we can't leave a message that is just, just like this. We have to get practical and see if we're really honest with ourselves and if we are, have an urgency in our heart to really embrace this truth that life is genuinely all about relationship. That it's all about loving God and loving people, loving your neighbor. We have to put some very practical things in place. Because we want to become people. In a few years, we want to be people that people look at us and say, that person is all about relationship, his life. I can see it. But it doesn't happen overnight. It's something that we become. It's nothing, not something we do once. It's something we become. So for that, we need to put some things in place. And that's why I drew up a, a very quick calendar, a weekly calendar. And I put in the calendar those slots that we should book in our calendar, the absolute minimum if we are serious about this great commandment in God's word. If we are serious about becoming people and embracing this culture of everything that we do is around relationship, then this will be the minimum things in our calendar. The first thing that needs to block out in our calendar, and a calendar is a very practical thing. If you, if you don't use calendar, a calendar, use it. And if these things are not in your calendar, put them in there. Because it will help you to block those time. So when someone asks you for that time, you say, no, I'm busy. I'm busy becoming a person that's all around relationship. I'm busy fulfilling the calling that's on my life, the greatest calling, the greatest thing I could do in this life is to build relationship with God and relationship with people. And nothing more is uh, important to me. Nothing is more important to me than that. So sorry, that time is blocked. We can go into other slots in my calendar. The first and foremost, daily time with God, God time. I call it God time because it's reading the word of God. It's worshiping. It's just relaxing in God's presence. It's um, speaking your heart and praying to God. Whatever, it looks different to different people at different times. But God time, we have to have God time on a daily basis planned in our calendar. For me, it works best in the morning. I get up, give my first fruit to God, and it changes the whole perspective of how I live that day. Because I've connected to God. Suddenly I've got a capacity for that day to also love others. Yes, I mess up often. I make a lot of mistakes. But it helps me. It helps me to, to become more relational. So the first thing in our day, need to book out God time. First and foremost. Why? Because that establishes our relationship with God. Next thing, the Sunday services. Sunday church services like this morning. Awesome. It's here. It's in your calendar. I can see because you're here. But if you're still like playing around with the idea of coming to church on a Sunday morning or Saturday night, you're like, oh, should I go to church tomorrow? Bah, bah, bah. If you're serious about relationship, church must be something that's blocked out in your calendar. It's a non-negotiable. Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, it's church time. Nothing more important than that to us. Why? Because we come here to learn about God, learn about loving God. We come here to learn about loving people. Small groups. Jace, Japes introduced the small groups. Small group cycle is soon starting again in about two weeks' time. 
get into a small group. You ha- we have to be plugged into a small group. Get small groups. We learn to deepen our relationship with Jesus and to grow in relationship with people. Mentorship group. If you're not in a mentorship group, whoo, you're missing out. You're so missing out. Just ask some of the guys that's in mentor groups or the girls, that, ladies that's been going to mentorship groups. It's life-changing. It's like a more intimate, what is it? It's a group of three to five people, normally ladies with ladies, guys with guys, that meet on a regular basis and discuss heart to heart. It's, it's a, a, a intentional relation, relationship building for an hour a week, but set a time to really invest in one another, to share heart to heart with one another. If you're not in a mentor group, it's so easy to start one. You can speak to me afterwards. This will change your life. It has changed my life. We've been going for two years, more than two years, and it's such a blessing in my life. Mentor group, that close people, close relationship. And then I put in there date night for those that are married or have children. You need a date night, even if you're not married. You need to schedule in your uh, calendar some, some time of time that you can spend with others, with a single person, a good friend. Go for a coffee. Go for a lunch. Go for a supper together. And really have that intimate relationship to share your heart with, with another person. So important that we build out that love on neighbor. These are the minimum things that we should have in our calendar. Can we do that? Can you see how much other free time there is to do all the other stuff we want to do? But this should be the basis. If we are, if we are um, sincere... And if you really, or if you are, it's um, a word, Adamstach, serious, if you're serious about actually fulfilling the greatest com- great commandment of loving God and loving people, these are the minimum things. They, them in themselves don't give us a relationship, but they are placeholders. They are breeding grounds. They're like greenhouse for growing a relationship with God and people. Amen.